Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 706-0111. I'm going to say it with a caveat on a glorious Thursday morning. I say glorious because... The Astros completed not only the series, but the season sweep of the Detroit Tigers. Not that that's anything to really overly boast about, although the Astros at times have not done well against, got swept in a series last year um, by the Tigers. And um, now the Tigers, if, if our last time I checked, had the second worst record in the American League. Now the Saints, the Saints, which is the problem. On one hand, I'm I'm starting to get my game face on with all the nerves and anxiety and anger that goes into that while I'm trying to enjoy the Astros playing well on the other side. So it's a little bit of a conflict there. But um, now they open up a four-game series, the Astros do with the Oakland A's, the team with the worst record in the American League that the Astros have had all kind of trouble with this year. Even when they've beaten them, they've struggled a lot of the time. So they've really struggled. It's really been a struggle against the A's this year for whatever reason. I mean, who knows? I mean, it's a division game. Um, They went through a stretch where they couldn't get Tony Kemp out. I mean, how do you get Tony Kemp out? Like, how do you do that? I don't know. They couldn't get him out. Um, They have really struggled against the A's. And so hopefully – this is a four-game series where they can do some clinching this weekend if they have some success. So we'll we'll, we'll see. Um, McCullers scheduled to pitch tonight. Um, pretty sure Verlander. Last I saw, Ver they were talking about Verlander's making his return to the rotation tomorrow night. So it'll be. Um, I think that's when Cody said he was going to be going. So he might get to see Verlander pitch tomorrow night, it sounds like. Um, so that was that was good. The Yankees look like they might have righted the ship. Looks like the Yankees um, kind of back on, you know, they, they were struggling for a long time. But it looks like they've righted the ship. And so we'll have another good win last night for them. And so we'll see how it goes. And the Mets just can't seem to get out of their own way. Just can't seem to do it. Braves uh, looked human on the on a West Coast trip. That those West Coast trips, you know, it's real easy. I've said it for years for all the East Coast teams who never have to do it. You know, maybe one time in a season, uh, it's real easy for. Oh, that's nothing. You just go out west and you play these teams and their records aren't great. Okay, go ahead, go go try it. The Yankees found out how much fun that is. And the Braves, who had been playing unbelievable, what did they lose? Three games on this trip. They lost their fair share. Uh, or was that four? They lost two in Seattle. Did they lose two in San Francisco? They might have lost four games on that on that on that Flake Coast trip. So it's not it's not as easy as it crack, it's cracked up to be. But we got some more, got a couple more weeks in that race. Looking forward, just uh, you know, 
we're going to be talking Saints with Luke in the next segment. And I hope he's got some good news because I, you know, I just, you know, we use the, I, I, the anxiety is just getting to me. I'm just telling you, it's just getting to me. It's going to be, it's going to be a, it's going to be a rough game Sunday. Wow. It's just, man, this past Sunday wasn't much fun. The Saints were terrible for about two and a half hours, just terrible. Yeah, they lost two to the Giants and two to the Mariners, so they had four losses on that West Coast trip. I mean, nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying it's not as easy as everyone. The Astros have been have actually done way better than a team probably should do with all the West Coast trips they've had to make over the last, you know, 50 years. Stupid Cardinals never have to go out West. It's ridiculous. But anyway, um, so we'll we'll um, we'll, see, we'll look forward to talking to Luke. Also, uh, we'll be talking to the guru in the ten o'clock hour, as well as a visit with Danny Jones as they try to um, figure out what in the world's going on with the awful news from that was released a couple days ago that the Louisiana Open is no longer going to be on the on the corn ferry tour for those that were listening yesterday that that interview was full, in full transparency that interview was supposed to be yesterday but um my my brain didn't work i'll blame it on i'll blame it on paulson adebo it's his fault um and again we'll discuss that in in the next hour um cajuns will play on saturday at rice and We'll be talking more about that, probably more tomorrow than today. But there's a couple of, you know, it'll be interesting. Got a chance to, we got a chance to visit with Vin Woolridge yesterday and hadn't in a while. And um, that continues to go well. And the running back situation continues to be interesting as well because Draylon Washington did well. Had a story at The Advocate yesterday and The Advocate dot com about you know well actually it was today uh in, in today's paper but when this when this camp started I you know you could tell going back to Sunbelt Conference media days that Coach Dez was open to the idea that if both quarterbacks played really well and it was a really close competition that he was gonna play both. Um which again fits right into the idea that they have for every other position other than maybe kicker that even if you're the starter, you're not going to play every down because if your backup practices well, does everything he's supposed to do, shows a shows a pretty high level of play, then they're going to play. They want they build up that way. That you know, it, it, Coach Napier talked about it all the time that it's about. You want as many guys excited and ready to play and involved and into it on the bus on the way to the stadium as you possibly can get. Now, again, if the guy's not good enough, if the guy's not doing everything he's supposed to do, then not, then they're not going to play. But if they do everything they're supposed to do and they have the talent to boot, then they're going to play even if they're not a starter, at least some, whether it's on special teams or wherever. And so that that fits into it, but the 
but the four running backs thing, it's, you know, we've been saying, well, somebody's got to take up, you know, Montrell was gone, Kendrell Williams got hurt, and Amani Bailey's now at TCU, and somebody's got to play running back. Well, to two games, it looks like four guys have a chance to help at running back. Are you really going to have a four-man rotation at running back? I don't know. I don't, I don't know how functional that is, but at least for now – wouldn't shock me if 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 it does happen, at least for the foreseeable future. And again, circumstances tend to take care of some of that stuff. But that that'll be something to keep an eye on when the Cajuns go to Rice on on Saturday. And then again, we talked with LSU football with Koki Riley yesterday, and I don't know. I, I kind of went in thinking this could be a tough game for LSU. Uh, Koki kind of agreed with that. And, in fact, he said he predicts that Mississippi State's going to win the game. I think on paper they look better. But this is a game where LSU can make a lot of points can uh, up in, in, in the court of public opinion. I think Mississippi State's better than Florida State. Time will tell on that. Um they just seem like a senior bunch that is good in the right areas, and so we'll see. But uh, no, that that was a um, good conversation with Koki. Now, you know he he doesn't feel like I think I I talked to another LSU fan last night, and he's like, "Gotta win this game, gotta win this game, or the season's over." I mean, I think there's a there's a I, and again it has to do with expectation. Like Koki's expectation is not well this team's going to win 9 or 10 games. So that's why yesterday he said he didn't feel like the season's not and we all know the season's not really over, but in terms of my in other I think what LSU, a lot of LSU fans are thinking is if my expectations for this team are done if they lose this game. But again, it depends on what your expectations were. Also, keep in mind, Texas A&M is not as good as everyone thought they were. It has nothing to do with losing to App State. They're just not as good. They have no quarterback. Um, And I know I'm not a QW, but still, you got to – their quarterback play is just always bad to me. Try to tell me how good Kellen Mond was. And even last year when he went to, oh, Kellen Mond, like, that guy, get out of here with that Kellen Mond guy. Um, and also, the, uh, you know, Auburn probably is not as good. So there are winnable games down the road. We still don't know how good Florida is. I know they beat Utah, but we still don't know how good Florida is. But no, I, I get why a lot of LSU fans, if, if, if the Saints lose to the uh, to the Yucks on Sunday, yeah, I'm gonna. I don't think it's gonna be as dire for the Saints as it seems like it is for LSU right now. But it, that game three, when you're one and one, that game three is very important. I mean, it just two and one just looks so different than one and two. It just it just does. It just it, it it's very. Game three is real important or seems it's easy, very easy to 
blow up game three maybe a little bigger than it should, but I, I understand it. I get it. If you're one and one, you really, really, really want to win game three because it just seems like – if not, it just seems like it's going to be an uphill climb all season. It just it just has that feeling. And so we'll see how how that plays out. Like I said a couple of days ago, this is a big weekend of football. Not as big for the Cajuns probably, of, although when you have, you know, a 15-game winning streak, every game's big because you want to extend the streak. You want to keep it going. You want to continue – building confidence and continuity and all of that with the new faces and a new coach, head coach and all that. And it's not a conference game, but still it's a team from a rival conference, I guess you'd say, in the region. You want to keep playing well. The Sun Belt had this unbelievable weekend uh, on this past Saturday, and so you want to, you don't want to do anything to kind of tarnish that. So there's a certain amount of pressure that goes along with that. Uh, as well and so no huge football weekend I, I I think probably bigger for LSU than anyone I guess you can make that argument it depends on what your expectations were but considering what my and a lot of uh, people's expectations were for the Saints I could also argue this is a very significant game and thank you so much to NASCAR for um for putting that in game two of the season where neither team is ready to play Thank you, NASCAR. Um, all right, let's take a timeout. When we'll come back, we'll see if Luke Johnson can calm me down. Good luck, Luke. We'll be back on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you fluent in footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. The cheaters. Cheaters. The famed hated rival that beat the New Orleans Saints and others so many times in the 80s and 90s by cheating. Also known as the San Francisco 49ers. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foot and Footnotes. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Want to remind you, it's time for another two-for-one deal from AcadianaDeals.com where you can get a $40 voucher of Dickie's Barbecue for just $20 to half price. That's $40 deal for half the price. Once again, go to AcadianaDeals.com today and purchase a $40 voucher to Dickie's Barbecue barbecue pit for just 20 bucks all right we have with us luke johnson of the advocate and nola.com how are you sir i'm doing great kevin good to talk to you man well we're going to start with hyperbole panic mode and hopefully get better from there all right so (laughs) wouldn't expect anything less yes okay so uh when exactly did paulson adebo get hurt and is he ever going to play again for the new orleans saints uh, as far as I remember, he got hurt in the um, in the week after the Packers preseason game. Don't quote me on that because I'm now struggling to remember if he played right. in that uh, or if, if uh, the injury occurred before the Chargers preseason game. Um, but he's been out for a couple weeks. That's that's all you really need to know. And he wasn't at practice yesterday. Right. Um, so that being said, um, hence the panic. Don't panic. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, 
I mean, look, we've we've had experience with uh, with a star player having an ankle injury that turned into like a, a quagmire before here in New Orleans, right? Right. But I don't think this is it. Um, you know, he spoke to reporters uh, last week, saying, um, you know, it was a sprained ankle, and he was, you know, kind of hopeful he'd be able to play in that that opener. And obviously, he he wasn't there. Um, he wasn't out of practice yesterday, but I, I don't think this is going to be something that's going to keep him out much longer. I think there's still a chance he could play this week. Um, obviously, he's going to need to practice first. Um, and if, he, if he's not out there practice today, um, I mean, it's pretty hard to imagine him being out there for the game on Sunday. But I also think that they they realize how important he is to their team. Um, and there's absolutely no need to rush him back out there before he's ready. Um, Tampa has a really, really good receiving core. It would really help having him out there. You could move Bradley Roby into the slot. I think you're a better secondary that way. Um, but it's a long season, man. And I, I, I don't think he needs to be out there before he's he's absolutely ready because I, we saw him in, in training camp. I mean, he was dominant. If you could put two really, really good outside corners out there, I, I think your defense has a chance to be very, very special. So we'll see. You know, he was, I, I saw him in the locker room yesterday. He didn't actually do any interviews. Um, but I, I just, I would be surprised if this is something that keeps him out more than two weeks. All right. Um, obviously, I, and Maya, I don't know if you, you, you watch games closer than me for sure. And, and you, and sometimes you rewatch them. So, I thought it was a miserable performance in every area of the game, and they won. So I'm perfectly willing to say it's preseason football. We've talked about it for years, and I still believe that. The first two or three games are essentially preseason football, that, and the games just count in the standings. So I'm willing to just chalk it up as a preseason game. But within all of that, or what one or two things – do you think could be problematic down the road? And the the one that I'm really, uh, really starting to worry about when Chauncey Garner Johnson got traded, I said, I my, my and you agreed, I think that the biggest problem that he's going that they're going to miss him is in run defense. I'm really starting to get worried that the rushing defense of oh, but don't worry, we don't have to worry about rushing defense. It's been unbelievable for the last two years. That those days are gone. Am I jumping the ship too quick here? Yeah, I think so. I, look, I, I think those those types of offenses, uh, that, like the type they faced on Sunday, are ha, have been in the past. Um, you know, this this defense is a lone weird kryptonite. Um, the problem is uh, that they're going to face a lot of them this year, right? They're going to face Atlanta twice. Uh, they're going to face Philly. They're going to face Baltimore. They're going to face Arizona. Um, all those teams have mobile quarterbacks who, who add an element to the run game that just seems to just mystify this team. I think, but I wouldn't be surprised if they go out there on Sunday against Tampa and Leonard Fournette had like 140 rushing yards or something like that last week and then absolutely shut them down. Um, yeah, I just don't, I, I think that adding a mobile quarterback to the mix is just, has been just something that is completely befuddled this defense and, it, and it's not just in the quarterback run game but it you know it, it, it affects them across the board um it really affected them with Cordero Patterson yeah I think they were so heavy in their pursuit in that game and you know you look at probably probably 60 percent of his longest runs uh he was hitting one cutback against like this really really heavy pursuit and having just nobody there um, so I think that's something they're going to get f- 
fixed. I think the the elements of their strong run defense are still mostly there. I, I, you know, I think taking C.J. Gardner-Johnson out makes them a worse run defense, but I don't think it makes them like demonstrably worse. I, I, I think they're still they still got the the defensive linemen there um, who are very important in that. They've still got Demario Davis and Pete Werner who had an excellent game. So I don't think the run defense is a concern for me yet. You know, obviously, if they go out this week, this weekend and struggle against Tampa Bay, you know that's that's two <laughs> two performances out of two, and that starts to make it a little bit more uh, a little bit more concerning. But I, I think just considering the opponent, um, the, the time of the game, or that the, you know the time of the schedule, the game happened. Um, I'm not concerned about that yet. The one thing I am concerned about, and I think you might be about to bring this up, is uh, the offensive line play. And I think that's that's something that might be a problem for them this year. Well, before I get to that, and, and you're right, that, that 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 is one. But before I get to that, have you ever come up with a theory as to why? And you're absolutely correct. I mean, one play into the game, I'm like, this is like playing the Eagles, and, and this is not going to go well. I mean, I mean, I tweeted that out one play into Sunday's game. It was like, uh-oh, this is the Eagles. And I, I don't know. It's just – have you ever come up with a theory why they just have no answer for a running quarterback? I have, I have no idea. I, I really, it just, it absolutely confounds me um, that this is just so constantly a, a problem for them. It's just not like, it, I, I mean, they changed their style of play against these guys, and and they're playing the way they're supposed to play, right? Like they're they're staying in their rush lanes. Um, they're not like being overly aggressive with the blitzes and leaving themselves vulnerable, um, and. Some, for some reason, it just it has constantly been a problem for them. I mean, Jalen Hurts looks like a multiple MVP award oh, winner. Yeah, he it is amazing. And to my point, you know, when when you're looking at when you're looking at those Eagles games, like it wasn't just Jalen Hurts. Like Miles Sanders ran for like 130 oh, yards, yeah, no, and it's... that was that was the guy who broke the he broke the the hundred yard rushing streak, right? Right. It, it it affects the entire defensive performance, and they got to account for that quarterback. And I just I, I wish I could figure it out, figure out what it was. And I bet the Saints wish they could figure out what it was too. Yes, and they they also play the cheaters with Trey Lance, who's got his own issues, but he can run. And so uh, you know that again, you're right. That's going to be a subject throughout the season. All right. So, but here's my here's my concern with what we've talked about so far for this matchup. That you know, we all know the Saints have won all these regular season games in a row against the Yucks before and after Brady got there. But but a lot of those games, uh, Brady was just dropping back and throwing, doing all that silly Bruce Arian stuff. I don't, and, and it was a lot easier for the defensive line to just pin its ears back and come get this guy. And if you put any pressure on Brady, he just throws it up for grabs. It's easy if you put a little pressure on him. But but. What I'm worried about is if they have any success at all, and Bruce Arians is not there anymore, and we saw how what Fournette did Sunday in uh, night in Dallas, that this it's not going to be as easy to pin their ears back because they're going to be running the football. Yeah, but I, I really do think that the Saints run defense that we've kind of come to know over the last couple of years is going to show back up on Sunday. Um, I, I just think that that's who they are, right? That is a priority for this defense. They they still have a lot of the same pieces in there. The guys who were were able to stop that, and it wouldn't surprise me if if they shut down the Bucks' running game early and they force Brady into into these situations. That's that's exactly how they've won those games. I mean, the Bucks have tried to run the ball on them before. Uh, it just never worked. 
And, um, you know, I, I, I think when you, especially when you have the offensive line issues that the Buccaneers have right now, which are, you know, only getting worse on Donovan Smith, their left tackle has been, you know, dealing with the, dealing with the problem that might keep him out of the game. Um, I, I mean, yeah, this is, this is playing right into the Saints defense's hands. Um, if they're able to shut down the run game, which I think they will be able to, um, you know, then they're able to dial up their, their pressure plan on Brady. That's exactly how they've succeeded so much in these last couple of years. He's just never, ever, ever looked comfortable in that, in that pocket against the Saints pass rush. All right, so how do we, and again, we're speaking with Luke Johnson, how would you kind of grade, or not that you have to give a grade, but what, what were your general impressions of the two new safeties and their performance in the first game? Um, yeah, I thought they played pretty well. Um, you know, I think this week is going to be a, a truer test, right, uh, just because of the Bucks' downfield passing game, and I, I think that's, that's where we've all been kind of wondering what it's going to look like without Marcus Williams back there. But I think their first their first look was pretty good. Um, I thought Marcus May made a handful of really really nice plays at the line of scrimmage, um, which uh, you know we we kind of all envisioned him filling in more of the Marcus Williams role um, and playing a little bit of the line of scrimmage. But I, I mean he was he was a very sound tackler. He was disrupting plays in the backfield, um, and you you could kind of see the Saints you know, switching those guys out like they they've been saying all along. They're kind of interchangeable. Um, so yeah, I thought they played pretty well there. Obviously, they made the the one big turnover down in the near the red zone. Um, and, you know, they kind of combined on that. You know, Matthew is like pulling Mariota's off off hand away from the ball, and and May is punching the ball out of the you know, the hand that's carrying the ball, and Matthew's scooping it up. I mean, that's that's kind of what you envision with those guys. Um, the one time they got tested deep, uh, May got penalized for a pass interference because he was beat. You know, so he, he held on to the guy to make sure he didn't catch a touchdown. Um, so I, I'm really, yeah, I'm really curious to see what that's going to look like this week against the Bucks, uh, particularly particularly in that arena because they do like to stretch the field vertically. Um, but I think the first the first week was pretty good for those guys. Um, one of the many many guys that were on the Saints injury report yesterday was uh, Z28 Alvin Kamara. So. In the past, he's been virtually useless against the Bucks because their linebackers are, you know, so good, and they kind of take him out the game. Uh, it, do you think? Do you think he's going to play? And how do you do? You think the matchup's going to be any different with him and the Bucks linebackers this year? I think he is going to play. I'm going to say right now, probably not. Like probably not be that much different. The one thing I'm I'm curious about is, I, I mean, look. When you add those those receivers to the mix, and Jameis is able to really get that downfield passing game going, and they're not able to to double anybody up. Like, look, the the Bucks in years past have been able to be like, we are not going to let Alvin Kamara beat us. You know, we are going to sell out to stop that guy. And I don't know if they could do that anymore. I don't know if anybody can do that against the Saints' offense um, because they've got so many guys who can hurt you. I mean. I, I think we all went into the season thinking like, okay, the, the, the hierarchy in the passing game is Michael Thomas, maybe Chris Olave, Jarvis Landry, you know, and then Jarvis Landry goes out and has uh, a buck 14 on seven catches. Right. Um, and I, I just, I think if you devote any, like too many resources to any one guy, there's other guys there who are going to burn you. And all that does is it creates space. And, 
I don't think Alvin Kamara needs that much space to really, really hurt you. So we'll see. I, I mean, you know, I think I think I'm going to go with the precedent here and say that you know the Bucks will probably force Alvin Kamara to be you know kind of just window dressing um, as they have in the past. They've they've really sold out to stop him, and Todd Bowles is still there. I think that's going to continue. Um, but I don't think that's a bad thing for the Saints necessarily because they've got other guys who are going to really be able to hurt the Bucks' defense. All right, before we get to a break, and I want to get to the passing offense, uh, what do you think the Latavius Murray pickup was about? Um, I think it's probably a, you know just in case with, with Alvin Kamara's ribs. And Mark Ingram was dealing with an injury yesterday too. We saw him out there doing some side work. Um, he was limited in practice. Um, so you know, I think really that's about them being like we want a guy who's you know, familiar in the system who we know we can trust. And, you know, kind of the same reason they brought Mark Ingram in last year um, after they, they shipped Latavius Murray off. Um, you know, he's, he's somebody who, in case they, you know, break in case, break glass in case of emergency sort of thing, you know, they know, they know what he's capable of. They know he's familiar with the offense. Um, you know, he's there in case they need him. All right, we will take a timeout, come back, and uh, we'll get more to the offensive side of the ball. Questions about what in the world happened on Sunday with Luke Johnson of the Advocate NOLA.com next on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you fluent in footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the footlish dictionary. Old tucktail. Tucktail. Noun, a former NFL coach who put his tail between his legs and went back to college, where it's easier to win. Also known as Nick Saban. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote and Footnotes. Welcome back to Footnotes on the game. I want to remind you, Astro Weekend Getaway, there's only one left. Saturday, October the 1st, Astros will play the Rays. If you would, if you are a member of the game clubhouse and rewards club, that is, you would be eligible to win four tickets to the Astros-Rays game on October the 1st. Hotel accommodations and a tour of Men in Maid Park. Astro Weekend Getaways. Powered by Butcher Air Conditioning, La Meridian, Houston Downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. All right, we have with us Luke Johnson. Once again, he in to try to calm me down a little bit before, in the middle of all this anxiety heading into Sunday's game in the Superdome against the Yucks. So, for the first, until they did hurry up, the passing offense was non existent. Was that just purely getting out coached? Was that, you know, just it just seemed to me that Jameis didn't have either one a lot of time to throw, and when he did have any time, nobody to throw to. Like, I, do you did you sense that there were a bunch of open receivers, or they just did a great job of covering the routes? Uh, he had guys, but I, I think the pressure uh, that Atlanta was developing, especially early in that game. Um, really threw Jameis off because when he had time and he had open guys, he was way off the mark. Like I was watching the broadcast again, and you know the crew was like talking about Michael Thomas in the first half, and you know he kept falling. And Jameis was throwing the ball. They're like, Mike Thomas keeps slipping. I'm like, no, Jameis is throwing the ball like four yards behind him every time. You know, I, I mean, he got probably was lucky that the coverage was actually pretty solid because. You know, if Mike had won those routes and the, the ball was thrown well behind him, you know, maybe the guy was going to be there to pick it off. Um, I mean, he was just really, really off target whenever he did have time to throw. 
And I think there were times when the pressure came where Jameis was holding on to the ball too long. I, I don't think it was all on um, on the offensive line, even though they did play their fair role in it. And there was there was one there was one uh, one one of those four sacks where you know, Bucks sent four guys, the Saints had six guys in protection, and completely left one of them unblocked, which is just absurd, right? That was a the sack by number three, where Alvin Kamara set up his blitz protection outside the tackle, and the guy came you know in between the guard and the tackle and just completely obliterated Jameis before he even had a chance to go to his second read. So, um, but look, I I think. I think part of that is that's Jameis getting basically no reps with these guys throughout preseason, right? He, he had one series, I think he threw like five five pass attempts and ten plays, and they got him out of there. He had no game reps with Michael Thomas, and I think you could pretty clearly see that chemistry was off in the first half. Um, you know, and it just took him a while to get things going. I don't think that's going to – I think, I think – I don't think he's going to be as good as he was in the fourth quarter in every game, right? But I don't think he's going to be nearly as bad as he was in the first three quarters. I think it's going to be somewhere in between where he's going to be a pretty effective quarterback with a lot of really good weapons to throw to. Um, but, you know, it was, it was just pretty clear they were, they were way off in the first three quarters, and they can't have they, – like, they cannot start slow like that again. I mean, don't you think – I mean, I, I'm thinking back to the game in Tampa two years ago where the Saints just came out and – and they were just throwing the dish receiver and this tied in and just all over the place. That the passing game is and not necessarily bombs, although bombs is fine. But 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 just quick passing game to a bunch of different targets is the way to attack this defense. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And you know, but I, I also I also think they're going to be able to they are going to be able to stretch the field a little bit vertically, right? Um, and I think they can do that quickly. Um, because they they've got they've got the the guys now, right? They can they can hit like a like a fifteen yard play on a three step drop, and they don't have to just keep dinking and dunking their way down the field. I, but I, I you know I, I don't think they're going to be able to do like a like a ton of you know play action plays that take a long time to develop because this this Bucks defense is really good. I think they've got a really good pass rush, um, two really good edge players. Even though Ramcheck is has done a really nice job throughout his career of shutting down Shaq Barrett. I, I don't think you want to just like have Jameis doing all these seven-step drops back there and hucking the ball down the field. But I, I do think they're going to be able to do some some quicker plays that are still you know stretching the field vertically a little bit and putting a little bit more stress on this defense than maybe they they have been and they've been able to do in years past. Um, and look again, you know, I, I'm going to keep coming back to this, but they've got the guys to do it now. And that's that's the thing that was so impressive about that comeback last week was, you know, they would not have been able to do that the last couple of years. They did not have Jarvis Landry to throw to. They didn't have Mike Thomas the last two years you know, to make like four catches, two two touchdown grabs in the fourth quarter. They didn't have Chris Olave out there running a, a sick route on a two point conversion, which, by the way, that was their first two point conversion they've made since 2018. I didn't even know what that was. Like, what, what, I was like, wait, you can you can convert two point conversion? <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time. It's been a long time. Um, you know what I'm saying, though? Like, like Juwan Johnson had a really good game. They didn't even. Throw I'm glad you brought up Juwan Johnson. I was gonna. Did I see a different guy there? I mean, I think I saw a different player with him in that game. Well, look, I, I mean, last year 
they, they moved him to tight end basically right before the start of training camp. He was learning a completely new position. You know, he, he had to put on a bunch of weight in a short amount of time. And I think he's, he's had a chance to really, like, develop into that body. He's had a chance to learn the position. And there's absolutely no denying it. His athleticism in that position is, is a premium trait. Um, and, you know, he's, he's essentially a receiver who they can line up in line. And, and obviously, Jameis is comfortable throwing to him. He went to him a lot. He went to him a lot in week one last year, too. Um, right. But, but you know, I, I still think you know, I, people were, were kind of wondering if this is like the death knell of Adam Troutman and, and this offense after seeing uh, Juwan get a bunch of bunch of reps. And I, I just don't think that's the case. I think that's that was really game plan specific. Um, I think Troutman's still going to have a really, really good year. Um but you know they've got. It's the the point is they've got a lot of different guys who can hurt you at a lot of different places. And, and I mean they basically didn't even use AK in the last game, right? And, I, and AK I think is going to have a huge year. So it, it look it's it's just they. I'm really really excited to see what this offense can be because I, I think the potential is really through the roof. It's just it, a lot of it depends on on Jameis. Um, and a lot of it depends on him looking a lot more like the guy he was in the fourth quarter than he was the first three quarters against Atlanta. All right. So the other, speaking of weapons, I envision or slash hope that Hardy, Mighty Mouse on this show, is is going to get, I mean, obviously he's not going to get the amount of targets that he did last year in the games that he played, but do you feel like they're going to seem like once or twice a half they should be able to go to him downfield? Now, I understand it was just one game, and I'm not worried about this one game, but down the road, it just seems like with all the weapons they have, they should be able to take advantage of his elite playmaking ability. Yeah, and I think they will. I think they will. I think they are going to be able to use him a lot more strategically, obviously, than they were last year when he was like their number two receiver, right? Um yeah, they're going to be able to to put them in there, and if they're like, "Hey, you've got like eight plays, and like three of them are going to be designed to go to you, and just take advantage of them, right?" Um, and I think that's going to be a lot of those like jet sweeps or like the screen that they ran on Sunday to him. Uh, but there's going to be other plays where where you know he's going to be on the field with all these weapons with Mike Thomas and Jarvis Landry and Juwan Johnson and Alvin Kamara and all these guys, and they're going to be like, "Yeah." You go run deep, and we're going to throw you the ball. Right. Yeah, and that's—I mean—that's going to happen. That's one hundred percent going to happen because Jameis has really, really good chemistry with him in particular as a deep threat. I think uh, he had like four completions of fifty-plus yards last year in uh, in his you know seven starts, and I think three of them went to Deontay. Um, so that's going to happen. But I, I, I think the the role for him is going to be much smaller and I think there's a reason for that and I think it's going to help them in the return game as well because he's, he's just not going to be he's not going to be beating himself up out, out there on the on the field and uh, and I think that's going to you saw his return numbers take a pretty drastic dip last year yes. I think it's going to you're going to see a, a rebound in that department this year. All right, so did you get any kind of explanation or are clear in your mind other than they just messed up uh, of all of the game management debacles in the last drive? Well, I didn't get an explanation for the one thing that really bugged me. Um, I think it might be too late to really ask about this, but uh, the spike that they had right before, right before Lutz's go-ahead field goal was 
was really bad. Um, and I think they kind of just like let the moment get away from him there. Um, I don't know if, if Jameis lost track of what down it was uh, because of that weird intentional grounding penalty or what. Um, but, I mean, there's there's no excuse for the clock's running. It's inside of 25 seconds. There's 30-plus seconds on the game clock. The Falcons have timeouts that you can make them burn, and you're planning to kick the go-ahead field goal right there. There's no excuse for spiking the ball at 23 seconds left. Now, what are the rules? Like, at what point through that process on the on the first uh, spike and or the second spike, can can someone be talking to him in his helmet or not talking to him in his helmet? They can talk with him up until, I think it's up until like 20 seconds left in the, on the play clock. So, again, don't, I don't think they all, they, they, they all thought Jarvis was tackled inbounds. Yes. Yes, and part of the problem with that was the referee who was making the uh, signal on that was, like, knocked down. And he was, like, behind the coaching staff, you know, while that happened. Right. So so the Saints all assumed that he was down in bounds. So you go to spike the clock or spike the ball naturally in that situation. That, that is the correct move. But they just never had it relayed to them that he, that the referees that the clock was stopped, and it, it was, seemed to mess them up honest, for the rest honestly, of the series. That's, that's yeah. something that that should have been that should have been reviewed by the league office. You know, it, it should have been a replay review inside of two minutes, and that that should not have been they should not have been penalized for that. Same thing goes for Kyle Pitts in the first half. By the way, um, that was absolutely a fumble. Um, when yes. Bradley Roby knocked the ball out of his hands, yes. they called an incomplete pass. And that cost the Saints three points. That could have been the deciding factor of that game. Yeah, I, there was just a, I, a lot of a lot of people that had issues with Week One, um, but the, the explanation they got was was that the you know, the official was was behind, like he was knocked down. He was behind Dennis Allen when he signaled the the clock was stopped, and then nobody on the Saints saw that, and there was no like communication basically that the clock would stop right uh, it's just let's just hope that never happens again one one, one, (laughs) one more one more thing please tell me will lutz is not gonna look like garrett hartley with all these line drive kicks all season long oh (laughs) i don't think so but um we'll see i mean you know the guy looked really good in the preseason like he did look he did look a little little wobbly yes uh in in week one um with some of those line drive kicks but I think you know sometimes, yeah. I was I was reading something the other day on on Justin Tucker, who is hands down the best kicker in NFL history. You know, no disrespect to Will Lutz or anybody, but um, you know, the day he kicked that that NFL record what was a 66 yarder to to win the game against uh, Detroit last year. Mm-hmm. Um, like he was going into that game like hitting nothing right, you know. <laughs> so I, I think sometimes it just. That just happens with guys. I'm not concerned about Lutz, though, because he looks so good in the preseason. He made big, long kicks and everything like that. Obviously made the game winner from 50-plus, so I think he's going to be fine. All right, sir. I appreciate you. Calm me down a little bit. I appreciate it, as always. Thank you very much for your time, and uh, we'll see what happens on Sunday. Thank you. All right, man. Talk to you next week. Take care. Luke Johnson. Love talking to him. Love talking Saints football with him. We'll take a timeout, come back, finish out the first hour next on the game. Well, 
Welcome back to Footnotes. Want to remind you, you can join RP3 in the game, 1037 Live at 1041 Lake Charles today. From no, not today. Today's Thursday. Tomorrow, Friday, tomorrow, from noon to one at the Cigar Merchant, 1001 Coolidge in the All Center. You will get an opportunity to register to spin the wheel where you could win UL football tickets, LSU football tickets. So tomorrow from noon to one for lunch, swing by the Cigar Merchant in the All Center, talk to RP3, and try to win some football tickets by spinning the wheel. Um, tomorrow from noon to one at the Cigar Merchant. All right. It did not sound like he was overly optimistic, Luke, that Paulson Adebo was going to play. If he practices today, maybe we'll have hope. But if not, uh, sounds like his prediction is he will not play this week and play next week, which I understand it's a long season. It's very similar to situation that, once again, similarities between the Cajuns and the Saints with with, with, with Trey Amos. Uh, and he's supposed to be back after missing two games in week three. But, man, I would feel so much better, have so much less anxiety if Paulson Adebo was not injured going into this matchup. So much less. And, man, I hope he's right about the run defense. I'm That's my biggest concern out of Sunday's game is the run defense is not going to be what it's been for the, you know, the last three or four years. That'll do it for the first hour, another hour to follow. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. We have with us a man that wears many, many hats, but probably... Well, I don't know. He's been doing St. Thomas More football for a long time. And, again, you can hear the Cougars tomorrow right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, hosting Brother Martin. Um, but he's also been for about two decades the executive director of the Louisiana Open, uh, Danny Jones. How are you, sir? Good morning, man. I'm doing pretty good. It's uh, been a long week, but it's winding down. And, uh well, yeah, it's been a long week. But. Yeah, I can imagine. Last week, if you have not gotten the news, and I'm sure most of you have last week, Danny and the Louisiana Open was informed that it will no longer be part of the Corn Ferry Tour for the out of the PGA Tours Corn Ferry Tour next year and beyond. And so it it, it you know I use the word gut punch and 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 probably the. The, the term gut punch never felt so real to you than when you got that news. Yeah, you know, look, it's um, – we all things come to an end at some point, Foot, And let me start off by saying we had a great 31-year run with a great partner in the PGA Tour. And I am super proud of what the organization um, accomplished since 1992 – in 1992, we gave $14,000 to charity um, in year one. And, and after 31 years, we've given over $5 million to, to local nonprofits and charities. And I think it speaks volumes about Acadiana, Lafayette, all our surrounding areas, the people involved. And so when you have that much history of 31 years, I mean, you talk about it in, you know, I've been there 21, and there was, there was even a full decade before that. I mean, that's a long, long time. And a long history, and, and again, speaks volumes about our area. 
So it is a gut punch, and it's a gut punch because of the work we've done inside this community and that we're proud of. And so for, for that reason, um, not, that, not that reason alone, but more importantly, this has been such a community event and what it's done for the community, that, that's where the real gut punch comes in. But, you know, we've talked about in the, in the past, you know, what would we do? What else could we do? Um, and so there's, there's some options on the table. Our phone has rang over the last 48 hours. Um, and it'll take some time to, to figure out what, what possibilities we could have going forward. And as I told you Tuesday when you and I visited, whatever we do decide to do, it's going to have to make sense for, for the Louisiana Open, the, any sponsorships that would be associated with it. And more importantly, it's going to have to have a, a charity aspect for it to make sense for us. All right. So what, as you talk to, I can't even imagine, you know, the conversations you had with executive with sponsors and executive committee members and all, what was the message that you kind of gave to each one of those individuals when y'all were discussing this difficult issue? Look, at the end of the day, we, we live in what would be considered a, a small market. That's, um, that's obvious. Um, you know, we're not a, we're not a new Orleans. We're not even a Baton Rouge, um, but we're definitely not a, a Miami or a New York city or a Chicago you know, places that have hosted or hosted San Francisco, Dallas, Houston, hosted Corn Ferry Tour events. And the model and the vision of the PGA Tour's Corn Ferry Tour, at the end of the day, it just outgrew our market. Um, it, was a, it was a dollars and cents um, thought process as well. They have a vision of where they want the, the income side of any Corn Ferry Tour event. And we're about $500,000 shy of that. And, and unfortunately... In Lafayette, Louisiana, there's not a path to get that kind of to get those kind of funds in perpetuity. We might be able to do it for a year and get people to step up, but in perpetuity, that was going to be something that uh, probably was not attainable in Lafayette, Louisiana. You know, I didn't think about this till after we spoke, but no, and and of course on Saturday, I didn't know I didn't know anything about this. I found out like most people did on Tuesday, but. You deserve for Texas to to beat Alabama. You need you needed you needed that break Saturday. I thought about after man, the poor guy. Texas should have won Saturday. Yeah, no, look, hey, it, you know, there. I'm not a believer. I'm a I'm a competitive guy. Uh, I don't believe in moral victories, but I think Steve Sarkeesian said it best. If that's the top team in the country or one of the top teams in the country. It, it's a great uh, testament to where that program has come in just a year and two games under the Sarkeesian era. And but as as your as as Nick Saban would talk about rat poison, if they don't if they come out and lay an egg Saturday, then it's all for naught. But if they come out and play well, then maybe the trajectory of the program is headed back in the right direction, and hopefully, for the first time really since 2010, has some relevance. So I know. You know, it's not time to get into any specifics, but with some of these phone calls you've gotten in the last 48 hours and some that you're going to get, I'm sure, over the next couple of weeks, do you have a, a better sense uh, of, like, when you might know where does the Louisiana open, open go from here? I think a realistic thought process would probably be towards the end of October. Um, you know, when you when you look at it before the holidays get here, uh, where we fell on the uh, year, you know, the monthly calendar in the middle of spring was a great time for down here, or not really the middle of spring, but springtime, if you want to call it that, middle, latter part of March, because, you know, festival season starts down here 
April 1st. You know, there's a festival every weekend starting in um, April, and, and people enjoy festivals and what, whatever festival it may be. And, you know, obviously the big one being Festival, festival International uh, towards the end of April. So, you know, for us to, to, to even possibly remotely pull off something, I would think in the next 30 to 60 days, at the latest, we would have to, you know, our vision would, would have to not be as blurry. It would have to clear up a little bit for us to see, you know, what 2023 and possibly beyond. If, you know, if it is 2023, to uh, it would have to start clearing up for sure. So how important is it going to be to do something like for this next year? Or could it be or, or is it could it happen where maybe next year you don't do anything and you restart up again? Or is that not the following year or is that this is just not going to work well that way? Well, you know, you start talking about the finances and the administrative costs and whatnot. So I, I, I wouldn't know it again. I'm in a, not in a position to say never. Um, you know, could we crank back up in 2024? Possibly. Um, but look, you know, my personality and those that, that, that rally around the Louisiana Open, um, our personalities are, you know, to, to go get the job done and make a difference. And so what would really hurt, you know, would be the charities that we support and not having, you know, not allowing them to to have that support for a year. So I think our goal would be to try and do something in 2023 to make sure that, that those that are relying on us um, and, and to not lose any momentum. Obviously, there's some momentum loss. That's that's um, that's obvious. But we want to we have a we have a foundation built and we have the infrastructure to do something, even if it's on a smaller scale, scaled back. Um, and if it can make sense for charity as, you know, and that's, that's what I've told people all along. It's got to make sense for charity because that's our mission. And if we are true to our mission, um, charity will remain at the forefront of anything we do. Now, when you say charities, uh, like say the last 10 years, are the vast majority of the charities, the same organizations? Yeah. Or- you know, a lot of charities, you know, foot we are, and you and I've talked about this in the past is, is, as a lot of people know, but we do realize after 31 years, a lot of people don't know our story and we are just the vehicle. We provided an opportunity for organizations to come out and, and work for us. At the end of the day, a lot of our charities were our manpower. You know, they were our labor force to, to help put on the event. And so they would receive funds for providing volunteers to come out and do this. Now, in some of the better years, there was a lot of discretionary money. We were fortunate enough to build the basketball court over at the Boys and Girls Club back behind Lafayette High. That was a huge undertaking about 13 years ago when we did that. It was a huge monetary value. And, and we were able to do stuff like that back when the children's shelter was around. We were, you know, they were spending more money to fix a 15-passenger van than it was worth. And we were able to work with them and do a fundraiser with them and put up, you know, 66% of the money for them to get a new 15-passenger van. So there were times where there was discretionary funds and capital improvements and capital projects were able to be done. But, you know, you look back and you go Hospice of Acadiana and the Boys and Girls Club and the 4-H Youth Development uh, Project here in Lafayette and, and different organizations, Hearts of Hope, formerly known as Stellar Place, their, their name has been changed for, for many years, but, you know, the North Vermilion High Band, the Turlings Golf Team, organizations, youth groups that would come out and, and actually do work to help us pull this event off. They would Look, it was never a quote-unquote guaranteed donation, but it was obviously, you know, an expectation that they were hoping to receive it, and that was our goal every year, and, and, and we, made true, we made sure that happened. 
Well, uh, I'm sure there are many people that, like you said, that were were have told you that you know you and everyone else involved in this should be proud of everything that happened, and I'm sure y'all are going to make it as good as it can be um, for what in whatever form that is from here on out. And so, again, congratulations and good luck. And before I let you go, I, I can't let you come on the air without telling you, Armory, um, without getting from you, what have you seen so far from the Cougars? It looks like um, the post-Walker-Howard era is going pretty well. Well, you know, I, last week we were able to avenge a, a loss a year ago. You know, Alexandria got us pretty good a year ago, 59-35. to 35, And, yeah, last week we got them 42-35. to 35. I don't think I have ever called a St. Thomas Moore football game, and this is year 21 foot, where we threw less than 10 passes. And so, um, but look, that was the game plan. That's what Karen Crow did to Ash in week one, and, and we followed suit and ran the footballs. We got a little hairy in the second half, but, you know, so would it have been a different game plan if Walker was still a St. Thomas Moore Cougar? Maybe so. We might have chunked it around a little bit. It always helps when you return the opening kickoff for a touchdown. But, Look, they're, they're, they're flying to the ball defensively. I think their defense is much improved. If we can keep our wide receiver core healthy, um, which so far, knock on wood, we have through the first two weeks. But the, the wide receiver room has, has been, you know, pretty nicked up the past couple of years. And really, you know, this is crazy to say they're, you know, between a senior, two juniors, and a, and a sophomore, they're four deep at the running back position. And, and that's, uh, that's great for any time you have – Two younger quarterbacks, they're both juniors, but they did both play a year ago when Walker got hurt. So there's some experience there, and they're playing as a cohesive unit. Um, I like our chances on paper against Brother Martin. If you, if, you, if you looked into it all, Brother Martin is obviously ranked number five in Class 5A, so they're a formidable opponent. And then we have Catholic of Baton Rouge next week. So as Jim Hightower called it, we're in the ABCD part of our schedule, Ash, Brother Martin, Catholic, and Denham Springs <laughs> over a four-week stretch. Um, but I, I, look, I, I like the direction we're headed. More importantly, I like the direction that the select, non-select uh, playoffs is going. I hope it leads to bringing everybody back together. But I'm looking forward to a playoff push where it's competitive, hopefully, from the beginning for, for a lot more classifications or a lot more divisions. And so, so I'm happy with that direction. But I am still holding out hope. I'm one, I'm one of those that wants it all back together, five classifications, and, and I hope this is possibly a step in the right direction. I think that it is. I think it's the first hope I've had since it's all started, so I echo your sentiments. Thank you very much again for your time, and good luck to you. Thanks so much. And foot real quick, back to Louisiana, but to all those that have, a, have, have had a hand in supporting this event since 1992, it's not enough, but the words thank you really uh, really run deep with inside of our organization, so we appreciate this community very much, so thank you. All right. Thank you, sir. Danny Jones, Executive Director of the Louisiana Open and voice of the STM Cougar football right here on The Game, 103.7 Lafayette. Appreciate Danny's time very much, and uh, he does a great job in all those, wearing all those hats. All right, we'll take a timeout. When we come back, we'll shift gears to fantasy football. Man, I don't even know what to think of half these fantasy football issues. We'll ask the guru and see what he thinks when we come back on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on Footnotes, you may not always exactly hear what you want to hear, but you will hear what you need. And, of course, I got all these, oh, you're an idiot. 
You know, what kind of Saints fan are you? Look, I'm not telling you what I want to happen. I'm telling you what's going to happen, what more than likely is going to happen. Back to more of the sports talk you need to listen to with footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes on the Game, Southwest Louisiana sp- Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Want to remind you to head over to the Cadiana Bar and Grill, 327 Iberia Street in Youngsville on Saturday. Hang out with the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Hannah Five Names. We'll be um, telling you how good the Mariners are and on their playoff run. And then she will be there from noon to one, giving away tickets for Cajun football games, LSU football games. So swing by, register, hang out with Hannah, spin the prize wheel, and you can win tickets, Cajun football and LSU football games. This Saturday from noon to one, the Cadiana Bar and Grill, 327 Iberia Street in Youngsville. All right, we have with us Guru talking fantasy football. How are you, sir? Hey, good morning, Kevin. Doing pretty good, man. Week one, survive week one, on the week two. Let's get it. All right, so what are you in about 12 to 13 fantasy leagues? So what, 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 what did we go the more. first week? <laughs> yeah, more than that, actually. Uh, 16 this year. 16 this year. Nine and seven for the week, so can't complain. Oh, one Really heartbreaking loss by less than a point. But outside of that one, it wasn't really that many close ones. You know, a lot of mine were pretty straightforward. Decided on Sunday. They had a, had a Monday heartbreak in, a, in one of those deep IDP leagues. I do IDP for those, I don't know, individual defensive players. You know, it's funny that you say that because the very first year that I ever did fantasy football was 1986, which was – right after the very first year we did fantasy baseball. Um, and we did where you draft, we did it like baseball, where you had, I think it was, I don't think it was five, I think it was four offensive posi- uh, categories and four defensive categories. And we drafted linebackers and defensive linemen and cornerback and safeties just like you do baseball. You know, Is that right, making yeah, a comeback, like that concept? The that I'm into. Except it's not categories. Uh, you do draft the defensive players and get the like the tackles, interceptions, sacks, fourth fumbles. So it's it, it's pretty cool. That's my first time doing it, but I've enjoyed it so far. It's added an interesting twist. That's a whole different level. After that first year, we're like, man, this is just too much. Let's just go to the simple football rule, <laughs> fantasy rules. But anyway, um, all right. So I thought it was a. I mean, I guess a few issues that we've been worried about got cleared up, but I think a lot of other – still a lot of um, other issues. First of all, um, let's start out with, with, with the Cleveland Browns. Is your expectations got any – for what they could be other than obviously they have two good running backs, assuming they don't trade one of them – until Deshaun Watson comes back, do you have any more hope that it could be any more than just the two running backs after the first game? 
Oh, not really. You know, I kind of expected the Browns to be kind of a dumpster fire to start out with Jacoby Brissett. Jacoby Brissett-led offenses have not been productive for fantasy, especially the receivers. So, yeah, not, not looking too good. I stayed away from Amari Cooper. You know, Donovan Peoples-Jones did okay. He might be worth a look in deeper leagues. You know, but Njoku didn't do much. And Cooper, of course, struggled. So, it's... Yeah, not looking too good. The rookie David Bell is a no-show. I don't even think he was active. But, yeah, stay away from the Browns. All right. So, would they played the Arnolds. Uh, McCaffrey did not have a great game. You think they're trying to protect him? In other words, is he ever going to go back to the heavy, heavy usage of before his injuries? Yeah, I think he could at some point. You know, yeah, his usage seemed a bit scaled down. I think the offense as a whole, though, is – was in a transition phase, you know, they just, you know, they, they weren't ready yet. They did not look ready. You know, your boy Baker Mayfield, they just, DJ Moore didn't do good either. It's just, they didn't look too good with him. But I think that, I think better days are ahead. I, I mean, Baker's not great, but I think he's, he's got to be just as good as Sam Darnold. And last year, with the limited time with Sam Darnold, McCaffrey did well. So I'm thinking he'll bounce back. All right, another situation that was kind of crazy and we didn't really know what to think going into the regular season was the Redskins running back situation. So have you gotten any clarity there? No, because of with Antonio Gibson was the guy this week, but Brian Robinson, they said, is already progressing where he's been working on the side and practice and should be back by week five. So, it is, I mean, these first few weeks, it's pretty clear that it's Gibson's backfield. But once Robinson comes back, that's going to, muddy it up a whole bunch. We don't know who's going to be the primary back at that point. So, they have Gibson now and Jordan arrive. I just know that it might be coming to an end here in the next few weeks. All right. So, we had heard about this Liz Frank injury for Najee Harris. And then he leaves. I don't know. Did he play about the first half and then he left the game? And then they're saying he's going to be back. But is this going to be a – I mean, do, do you get over that? I mean, this was the injury that kept Etienne out all of last season. So, I don't know enough. I'm certainly not a doctor. I don't know anything about the differences. And one can be more, you know, where you can play through it and others are more severe, the same kind of injury. But is this going to be something that you're going to have to worry about if you have Najee Harris all season? Uh, I hope not. You know, it could be though. So if he's having it, would be suggested that he'll pick up the the backup running back there, the rookie Jalen Warren. If he have Najee Harris, so I wish I'd have done that. No, he got have Najee because yeah, he's making me nervous. You know, and I thought Warren got picked up. So I was caught slipping on my part. So you know, you gotta gotta you know have a hand. If there's an obvious handcuff, pick them up. You know, like Christian McCaffrey, there is no obvious handcuff because if he would get hurt, it'd be a committee between Deontay Foreman and, and Chuba Hubbard. But in the steel case of the Steelers, I feel like if Najee would get hurt bad, it probably would mainly just go to the Jalen Warren kid because the Steelers are a one-back system. So keep an eye on him. But I would think Najee will be okay. I, I'm not a doctor either, so I can't say for sure. But if I have him, I'm just Hoping that he can get through it and not re-aggravate it because, yeah, if it would get worse than we saw it happen with ATL last year, it could be a season ender. All right. If you drafted C.D. Lamb, how worried are you? I'm actually not that worried because in the game where Cooper Rush had the play last year, 
CD did pretty well. I believe he had eight for over 100 yards. So I think CD could still do pretty well this year. I mean, I don't think he's got the upside he did. Not a Dax hurt, but he's definitely still somebody that could is worth starting in lineups. He's definitely not someone that's worth dropping or and don't and also don't trade him for the bag of chips like I've seen in some of these leagues. They had a dude in a league. This is a dynasty league, but still, this was such a crazy deal. He traded uh, CD Lamb for Romeo Dobbs in a draft pick. I was like, man, CD Lamb. I know he could fall. So I'm like, hey, he's not. The sky's not completely falling here. I mean, he's still a a quality receiver, so don't panic with CD. So uh, it's it might be too early to really worry about injuries, but, that, you know, I mentioned Harris, Swift mispractice yesterday. Is there anybody who's like a major player that you're really worried about and really need to monitor injuries over the next couple of days? Yeah, there's, there's a few to monitor. You know, yes, yeah, Swift, uh, definitely uh, DeAndre Swift, hopefully – he can go. I think he will, but, yeah, definitely keep an eye on the, the practice reports there. And, uh, yeah, the Cardinals with Rondale Moore, he's banged up and might not play uh, again. And Zach Ertz still a little banged up. So the Cardinals very injured. As well as the Bucks, You know, the Bucks, all the injuries on the Bucks is coming a good time for the Saints because, you know, all their receivers are, are questionable. Chris Godwin looks like he, he'll be out. Evan should go, but uh, Julio and Gage, also might not go, so it's like, it's, man, it's just injuries all over. But we just got to keep an eye on those practice reports. T. Higgins, another one coming off a concussion. He, I believe, got in a limited practice yesterday, so looking looking good for him to play as soon as he clears concussion protocol. All right, so from a fantasy standpoint, it, do you buy the panic about Aaron Rodgers, or do you think that's going to work itself out and people are panicking way too much about potential serious production drops for him? No, I think the concerns are valid this time. Last year they weren't, but this year they are, I feel, because he has the simple fact that he doesn't have Devontae Adams anymore. I feel like the loss of Devontae is just a, a, a killer as far as his statistical output. Even I believe he even said it on the McAfee show about it. Like, they're going to get A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones. Like, I mean, that's their the focal point to their offense. I mean, they've pretty much conceded that they're, they're a run-first offense, and they're, that's what they're going to try to do. So I don't see Rodgers putting up his usual numbers. He'll still have some weeks. You know, he's, I mean, he's not worth dropping, I don't feel like, but he's not. I don't think he's going to be the kind of reliable every-week starter that he used to be. Another kind of superstar in fantasy in recent years. Are are you worried about if the Titans' passing game does not get considerably better, that that could really impact Henry's rushing numbers? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, the Titans' offense looked like a train wreck last (laughs) week. I mean, outside of Dontrell Hilliard, no one did anything for fantasy there, so that's yeah, they're going to have to get on track because if not, that's going to be a long year. At this. I mean, honestly, though, Titans, other than Henry, you know, not really many guys that were highly invested in for fantasy. We kind of figured that offense would be shaky with no more A.J. Brown. You know, got Robert Woods in a deeper league, hoping he'll bounce back. But I still think he could. I mean, he's too talented, but 
Yeah, it's, it's not looking too good in Tennessee. Kyle Phillips, the slot receiver, that was a name to monitor. He he did pretty good. He was one of the few that looked like a bright spot there last week. But, yeah, definitely, if they don't get the passing game better, then it's, it's going to hurt Henry, who's already, I feel like, kind of on the back nine of his career coming off a major foot injury. All right, so, and again, we all know it, whether you're talking fantasy or you're just talking normal football, <clears throat> it's really easy to re- overreact after one week. We we all try to, or at least most of us try to remind ourselves of that. So, but still, with that said, in terms of fantasy, was there anyone that you just didn't really know about, or you might have passed in some of your leagues, just because you were uncertain that you feel like you got a little more clarity, and maybe after one week you're like, hmm, maybe you know, maybe who who, who kind of maybe their stock rolls in your mind after week one. Uh, yeah, well, I got—I just got admitted the dude that you loved and I hated, man, James Robinson. Yeah, I gotta be real; his stock went up. You know, I'm still not panicking about Travis Etienne. I think there'll be enough to go around for both of them to do well since their receiving core in Jacksonville's not too good. But yeah, James Robinson coming off a torn Achilles—I couldn't believe he did what he did. I was like, wow, because after seeing Cam Akers. And he, his Achilles, he had torn his before Robinson. I was like, well, man, if Cam Akers still is that bad coming off an Achilles, I'm going to hate to see what James Robinson is going to look like. But, nope, he, he looked pretty explosive and looked like his old self to where I, mean, I don't think he'll do as well as he did his rookie year when he was the workhorse. But I still think he's he's got he's still got some juice, obviously. And he's somebody, if he's getting the goal line carries, he, he could still have fantasy value. But it's another thing about week. I've seen a lot of people that want to act like oh, that Travis Aitken is irrelevant now because of the fact that Robinson looked good. But I'm going to stand on the fact that Aitken is still a – I mean, they drafted him in the first round for a reason. You know, he's a first-round draft pick. They're not just going to give everything to Robinson. But he's – He's he's the one that really stood out to me because when you mentioned that, I could, like no one really pops up, but it's James Robinson. I got I got to admit that. <laughs> you know, isn't it amazing? We've been doing this talking fantasy football for a long time. In the first, I don't know, however many two or three, four years, we kept waiting for Joe Mixon and Joe Mixon, and we and I had him one year and he was terrible. And it's like I'm done with Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon. Is he now just like a full-fledged fantasy stud? Like, usually when a guy disappoints and then disappoints and then disappoints, they kind of fade away. This guy's now like a fantasy stud. Yeah, last year he kind of established himself, and it looks like he's kept that. And that offense with Burrow, I'd say yes. I, I, I was very glad to get I don't have many shares of Nixon because he went so early in draft. And a lot of times I'd have an early pick, so any – you know, he'd usually be like a late first rounder, so I didn't usually have the opportunity to draft him. But I, I think I've got him in one or two leagues. And, yeah, it, it feels very safe. Like, even though he didn't score a touchdown last week, he got, like, such a high volume of, like, the high volume of touches to where he still was pretty productive. So, yeah, Nixon is very uh, safe and secure. And if he looks like he's put any concerns of his character issues to bed, so he's looking like he's reliable now. I don't know what's gonna from from the Monday night game, but I don't know what's all gonna how it's all gonna work out with the Broncos in the passing game. But man, Javante Williams looks good. Oh yeah, very good. Yeah, he, and better days are ahead for him because he could have done way better. He fumbled 
near the goal line. If it wasn't for that, he'd have been a top five running back this week. So yeah, he's he's someone I've, I've got a lot of shares of, and and glad I did. You know, him and Saquon, man, it just those are some special talents, and they just got to stay healthy. But yeah, Javante is uh, amazing. It's looking like and for dynasty leagues, he's he's got so much untapped potential. Do you trust Jeff Wilson? No. <laughs> no. I don't trust any 49er running back. Elijah Mitchell was surprisingly reliable last year when healthy, but I don't see anybody <laughs> stepping into that role. It's just going to be a committee. You know, Wilson, though, is worth adding for depth because he is the starter and what's a very run-heavy offense. But I would hope. You wouldn't have to be relying on him as a starter because of just again, you don't know what to expect with Shanahan. He's very unpredictable. I mean, last year no one expected Elijah Mitchell because Trey Sermon had the higher draft capital. He had Eli was the workhorse, so he just he just never know what he's going to do. It's uh, I'm I'm strongly considering playing him in my flex spot because I didn't I was not impressed with Seattle's run defense Monday night, and they're coming off an emotional Monday night win going on the road playing the Cheaters team that just lost to the Bears. So, I don't know. I know you pro- you're more – I don't think you are as circumstance-oriented when you make your fantasy decisions, but you don't buy those circumstances? No, that, that makes sense. Uh, that, that, could, that could play a part for sure, you know. As these, yeah, Seattle's not very good. I expect the 49ers to blow them out the water. But I think it'll be, you know, more kind of just – I don't think it'll be a whole lot of – fantasy production from the from any one certain back i think it'll be kind of split up you know because debo samuel is going to get carries you know debo and trey lance to where even if wilson gets you're going to be relying on a touchdown if he can find the end zone he'll be okay which he's shown the the ability to do that so it's possible if he can find the end zone but that's just you know depending on touchdowns it is not always the the best route to right. go but if you got to, you got to. All righty. Well, one more question before we let you go. Other than Warren, is there anyone out there, if they haven't been picked up in leagues, that people need to be that listening might need to go pick up as soon as possible? Let's see. Yeah, Daryl Henderson was, but he's picked up now in pretty much everything. Uh, yeah, Wilson, I wouldn't go rush for. I mean, if he's there and he needs depth, and yeah, and then Khalil Herbert with the Bears could be a savvy pickup because David Montgomery did not look good. I know it was the poor field conditions and it was only one week, but Herbert, they've been saying it all offseason that that could be a two-headed committee where it's normally all Montgomery. So if Herbert can keep getting touches and more importantly his goal line looks, that's what's really surprising. If he got the touchdown and not Montgomery, that he could have value because we know the Bears, they're going to run it because they're passing games since. Absolutely. All right. Let's just uh, hope things go well Sunday in, in New Orleans, and then we'll just kind of live with the rest of it. But appreciate your time as always, Guru. Thank you. Good luck. Yep, no problem. Yeah, Saints plus two and a half looks like a pretty good play. And if that line moves to three, then that'd be even better. So uh, I'm, I'm liking the Saints this week. And hopefully they can win outright as well. <laughs> I hope you're right. Boy, You. I hope you're right. Thank you, Guru. All right. We talked a little fantasy football. We'll come back, finish up today's show. On the game. Footnotes on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. 
your home for the Houston Astros in Southwest Louisiana. Welcome back to the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers. And Houston Astros want to remind you again, it's time for another two-for-one deal from AcadianaDeals.com. Today, you can get a $40 voucher for Dickie's Barbecue Pit for just $20. That's a $40 deal for half the price. Once again, visit AcadianaDeals.com today, and you can get a $40 voucher to Dickie's Barbecue Pit for only $20. You could go get Dickie's Barbecue Watch tonight's NFL game on Amazon Prime. If you're a whole lot more proficient at that than I am, what a game. Arguably one of the games of the year in the NFL, Chargers and the Chiefs. Now, someone with my way of thinking kind of thinks like the Chargers and the Chiefs, kind of a big game. I don't know if I'd want to play that in week two on a Thursday night, but... If you were wanting to watch football tonight, what a great opportunity for you. Chargers, Chiefs tonight. But uh, eat a little Dickie's barbecue, watch a little football. Sounds like a good evening. Let's go to the game hotline. Hello. I wonder if uh, like, if, if, if Major League Baseball is starting to get any suspicions about their man judge, the way they did some of these other players and stuff. And it's amazing the foot. How in, in, in these days in Asian sports, you can't do anything spectacular without them wanting to put you in the PP cup, you know, like they did the Saints punter. You know, you kick the ball too far and stuff, and it's like you're not supposed to do that. So as soon as you do that, it's like, uh, I don't know. This guy got to be on something. How can he kick the ball 80 yards, you know? So it's like you can't do anything spectacular no more. Without them thinking you're all doped up and stuff, what you think about that? You think they, had, you know? They oh, I'm sure. Judge I'm sure cool Judge has them? been. I would be surprised if Judge hasn't been tested multiple times this year, but I have no idea. Yeah, I'm just guessing. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that last night, and I said, I, I said, man, that cat knocking them out. And I said, I wonder if if, if 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 they're doing what they was doing a couple of years ago, I mean, like every 30 minutes, let's go ahead and test him. You know, let's go ahead and test him. Well, I think who they need to him. test is the pitchers who keep throwing the ball right down the middle against him. Like, what is what in the world's going on in their little mind? Well, that's who they need well, to they test. Be tested, yeah. They got to be tested for something different. Yeah. yeah. That's mental stuff. <laughs> Something's <laughs> not right. I'm talking about the other level, you know. And I, you know, like I say, man, it's crazy. Don't think about that. How the heck, you know, you, you want to test the punter because the punter had a great kick. And I'm like, man, come on. You can't do it to a that's like the league saying, well, no, you're not allowed to do anything spectacular. As soon as you do, want to know what you want. Just like you don't have the ability to do anything spectacular no more. It's like as soon as you do it, everybody's fishy. You know, they're thinking about the wrong thing. And I'm like, let the guy be the guy. That don't mean he's on anything, you know. I mean, the guy just made an awesome kick. And like I said, I'm not saying judges, juice, and all this other stuff. Because like you said, I think they tested him pretty often. But, man, it makes you wonder, huh, when the steroid era we just come out oh, of it's... and everything and – now you got this going on with, you know, the numbers. Is, um, I mean, some of these guys' numbers are still outrageous now. You look at some of the numbers is compared to the steroid era and stuff, and it's like it's not that much difference. Well, you know? for, I mean, for him, no, but <clears throat> but he's like 20 homers ahead of everybody else uh, in, yeah, the, in yeah. the American League. Yeah, it's that, amazing. Yeah, but that ain't got nothing to do with him, though, you know? Right. You know? That ain't got nothing to do with him. Is he just on a, on a historic pace and he's having this 
monster breakout hot season. I mean, the dang nobody else's fault that the day they ain't close behind him, you know. So I mean, you can't really fault him for that. You know, I mean, it, it, I don't know, man. It's, it's just crazy. But it's gonna be very interesting just, to see where he signs yeah, after this I just season. Hope everybody's, I hope everybody's clean. I hope the Saints fun is clean too. You know, so stay clean, everybody. Everybody will be all right, man. You know, but I was enjoying the show. I just want to call and pick on you. I'll talk to you later. All Have right, a good one. Ta- all right. Take care. Um, by the way, I did see, and I hope this isn't Ed Hockley's son and his crew. It was announced earlier this week. Is going to be doing being the officiator, being the, going to officiate the Saints game on Sunday against the Yucks, and I think if I remember correctly, the number they had the second most penalties called in the NFL last year. So I hope this doesn't become a penalty fest. Um, and most games involve a certain geriatric quarterback. Um, his team gets most of them. So let's hope that the officials stay out of this game. I think there were a few bad calls, and to Luke's point in the last hour, um, there was one I, I thought that there was a fumble that was – I thought that was bad. I agree with that. But for the most part, I thought the officials were fairly fair. Like early in the game, there was some shoving and, and by a, a – a holding by a Falcon defensive back. And <clears throat> I said, as long as you let that happen, I'm good. Now, they did call one on the Saints, but it wasn't like an all-day thing like when they cheated the Saints bad three years ago. So there were some bad calls in the in the Falcon game, but I didn't think they dominated the game. So hopefully that's the case again. Let's go one more call on the game hotline. Hello. Kevin, this yes. is Mark. Hey. How you want to win, guy. I got a doozy for you, but it's going to be quick. Uh, I got First, I got a comment. Baker Mayfield, 30 and 31, yet he's whatever, all over the TV, makes me vomit. Okay, I mean, yes. there's that. Moving on to the Saints, I think that we are going to be playing. This is the perfect game to step up with the tight end action. Perfect game for the tight end. I, I think there's going to be a bunch of over-pursuits, and this is just going to be a game for that. I'll ask you how you want to win, Kevin. I know you're up on the clock. All right. Okay. Thank Let's you. <clears throat> Man. I love that question, and it's amazing to me how many times I'm unprepared for the answer. <laughs> He's been asking me that for years. But, um, man, look, right now I, I just want to win. But I, I would really like to win um, with, like we were talking about with Luke, with, where – in the way that the Saints have been winning against them, which is stuff to run, which because I'm a little worried about the run defense and really getting after Brady and, and winning with sacking Brady and stuffing the run and just throttling their offense to, through sack after sack after sack, where I can say Davenport many times. I would love to say that over and over and over and over and over again. And by the way, I forgot to mention this to to to, uh, to Luke when he called. If anyone wants to tell Gus that the season started, I, I'm I'm all for that idea. Somebody needs to relay the message to Gus, Daniel Anyamata, or David Anyamata, that it it's um the season has started. I know he had a six game suspension to start last season, so he might be a little. Confused about when the season starts. He needs to show up 
because he's had some big games against the Yucks in the past. It's time for him to have another one. So, no, I, I, I'm I opting for a sack, the court, stuff to run. In other words, I don't want to win 9 nothing. don't get me wrong, but I want to win because the defense dominated. That would be... That would make me feel really good, especially if Paulson Adebo, well, that would be tremendous if he could play, but not looking good, not looking good at all. All right, we'll take a timeout, come back one final segment next on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Want to remind you, high school football tonight. We went over the schedule yesterday. There are six games in the Cadiana area. Uh, and you can hear quite a few of them right here on our family of stations. Delta Media is your home for thrilling high school football. Tonight, Cadiana Reckon Rams will be taking on New Iberia. And you can listen to that game, MeTV FM 97.7 FM 1330 AM, or hopefully on your free mobile app that you can listen to each uh, well game night. I was going to say Friday night on this particular night. It's Thursday night. Pre-game starts at 6.30. Kickoff set for 7 o'clock. Also, the St. Landry Parish game of the week, Port Barry hosting Opelousas Catholic can be heard on News Talk 98. Point five FM pregame six forty five, and then tomorrow uh, you can listen. As we mentioned earlier, St. Thomas More is going to be hosting Brother Martin. You can hear that game right here on the game one hundred three seven Lafayette. The Karen Crow Bears. We talked to Coach Corville yesterday. They're going to be hosting Southside. The Karen Crow version on Z one hundred five nine. The Southside version on Mustang one hundred seven one. The Vermilion Parish game of the week tomorrow night is going to be a doozy. Abbeville versus North Vermilion, and that's going to be on 106.3 Radio Lafayette. So lots of great high school football. Two games tonight, a lot more tomorrow. And then the Bar Buccaneers, you can hear them as well tomorrow night. Uh, I believe they're playing Sam Houston, if I remember correctly. The game, 104-1 Lake Charles. Barb's coming off a loss to Karen Crow. Man, Karen Crow was really on fire early. And uh, we'll see if they can continue it against Southside tomorrow night. So lots of high school football action in our family of stations. Look forward to that. And once again, a huge NFL game tonight. The Chargers and the Chiefs. So we'll see if the man the the, the national media is really going to go crazy over the Chiefs if they uh, look impressive against the Chargers tonight. So we'll see what happens. Personally, I'm hoping Mike Williams does a little bit, but which he didn't do last week. We'll see how that plays out. Appreciate Danny and Luke and Guru coming on. Y'all have a nice day.